0: You are now listening to The Socks and Sandals Podcast Every time an independent A truly independent source Goes into the Portland Police Bureau We find chaos
1: Just one of the people like just told to my managers
0: Who like had fired me They were like Yeah, did you see Tevin's video it Was on Complex And he was
1: like Man, dog, they sick, man yada, yada. And I was just like I was laughing Because it was just like You know, bro, like You know, God, God always got a plan. And
0: so in that moment, I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to sit here in the middle of this aisle in Target and talk to her and break down what is going on and why she believes that these white Barbie dolls are more valuable or should come home with us over these brown and black Barbie dolls.
1: The Egyptian creation story is a very sexual one, Mm -hmm. and it talks of the god Creating himself through a sexual act with himself, so it's a masturbatory Big Bang, if you like. Like I never even hire coaches when I establish a program. I always hire mentors. First. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because a mentor gets the big picture. Coach might just get basketball. I, I want somebody won. that I and mean, I want somebody that's about a whole life.
0: I'm not the only podcaster out there. You're not the only marketer out there. Like there's a lot of people doing the same things. But the things that's going to separate you and I from the rest of the people is that we become our best selves and we just don't quit. So what is the gospel? What is the pure, unadulterated gospel? Yes, yes. And that is what I live by because the moment this changes is the moment I'm leaving Christianity. Okay. The pure, unadulterated gospel, and I can say it in one sentence, but I'll elaborate. For sure. Is love God and do whatever the fuck you want. Peace and blessings. I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals Podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the building whipping it up, and today, in this episode, we're going to talk about John Gruden, the NFL, the good old boys, and your current organization's corporate structure all right um let's talk about john gruden let's get right into it oh first things first though actually uh it is tuesday october the 19th i am recording this at 602 p.m on a lovely day in portland oregon it's probably one of the last clear days where it's in the 60s um because it looks like the weather forecast is saying we're going to be in the 50s and it's going to be rainy for the foreseeable future. So RIP to this beautiful fall weather. Here comes the gray. Here comes the rain. Here comes the darkness. Now, I'm not mad at the rain. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. As I've gotten older, I've adapted. As a kid, I used to hate the rain. But now, like as an adult and as I become more introverted, uh, I appreciate the rain, you know, a, a rainy day. With some good lo-fi music and a task to focus on, I can just lock in and work. Um, and feel warm and fuzzy, as weird as that may sound. But it's a vibe. It's really a vibe. All right. So let's let's get into it. Um oh uh one thing I don't do, I don't I don't announce my socials in the beginning like I should. So uh hit me on Twitter or follow me on Twitter at SXSNDLS. Uh, on Instagram at socks and sandals podcast. If you want to email me, uh, email me at, um, socks and sandals podcast at gmail.com. All right. So let's get into it. John Gruden. So John Gruden, longtime NFL coach, um, his last, his most recent stop in the NFL, uh, on the coaching carousel was in Las Vegas, a coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. He was, let go, but basically they, they just let him resign. Um, but they were going to fire him if he didn't resign. But John Gruden is no longer the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders Raiders because he, um, it was found by a, you know, a long investigation by the NFL. They were combing through hundreds of thousands of emails spanning back all the way to 2011. And they found some emails from John Gruden that had racist remarks, sexist remarks, or, you know, like Half naked pictures of women, um some of the women were cheerleaders of the Washington football team um racist sex sexist, homophobic, calling out names, he wasn't just using it general in general too he was calling out names, so on and so forth so um because we live in a culture where uh everything is digitized, people are recording conversations, and then the public will respond to it immediately. Uh, It doesn't even take long now for these things to turn into someone being fired or resigning from their position because the precedent has been set. Um, Folks will take to Twitter and take to Instagram and turn that story into just the biggest of biggest deals as they should. And that pressure is now put on the owners and the commissioners to act swiftly. And so probably within. I want to say like 48 to 72 hours of these emails going public in the New York Times and who else? I think the Wall Street Journal had published some of the emails. So yeah, Gruden is out of there. So just to kind of give you an idea of, you know, the stuff that was said in the emails, I won't spend too much time on this, but uh, let me go down the list. So as far as the homophobic remarks, He made a a remark about Michael Sam. It was back in 2015 when the Rams, I don't think he was drafted, but they signed him as a free agent. And he was the first openly gay player to be signed to a team. And so he says something to the effect of, you know, Jeff Fisher shouldn't be shouldn't have been pressured by the commissioner to sign these queers or something like that. So that's that's what he said. But he, he did say queers. Uh, in in referring to Michael Sam. So um, I don't know. Queer is a a term that's used in the LGBT community. So I don't know if that was so bad, to be honest. Um, But that's what he said. Now, another statement that he said was all the way derogatory. um, And the energy is unmistakably homophobic and um, discriminatory. So he was referring to Roger Goodell. And he called Roger Goodell a maggot, uh, substitute the M with the F because he was mad about the lockout. That's this is this is his excuse. He said he was mad about the lockout. He was mad about how Roger Goodell handled the concussion protocols and like the safety issues around concussions and all of the the new the new rules that pertain to the way that defensive players couldn't hit around the head or neck area and it was making it hard for defensive players to adjust it was hard for for uh him at the time i think he was like coaching high school football and parents didn't want their kids going out to play football at that time because it was like a highly sensitive thing around concussions and head injuries and whatnot so um he called him a maggot substitute to m with an f So that's there's no no dipping around that. That's that's inflammatory. Right. So and then there was a there was an email that he that he sent out and it was a derogatory term aimed at DeMora Smith. Now, DeMora Smith is an attorney, a U.S. attorney. He's also has his own private practice. He's a partner. Uh, in a firm based out of washington dc and he's the president of the nfl players association so when the when the players go to um their collective bargaining agreements and try to get their get their profit split you know with the nfl he's the one that represents the players so um but john gruden has something to say about him and he said the Morris smith's lips are the size of michelin tires <clears throat> so with the history of racism in this company, in, in his country, you just can't talk about black people in that manner or talking about big lips or how black they are, whatever. You just, you can't say that. So, um, obviously racist. And there were a few other things, uh, I, I believe. Uh, oh yeah. There were the pictures once, once again, of the cheerleaders that he sent out and that he commented on. Um, and it was an email chain. It was him. It was one of the former aides to Roger Goodell. He was, uh, his name was Jeff Pash. He was the league's general counsel. Um, and he was basically the NFL's top lawyer for quite some time. He's no longer with the NFL. He's no longer employed by the NFL, but he was their top lawyer. Um, and so it was him. It was the general manager of the Washington football team. um, Bruce Allen and there was a few other people on an email chain and they were passing around sending photos of topless women and two of them happened to be cheerleaders that worked for the Washington football team so it was just a lot of bad behavior so but he he took the fall but one thing I do want to highlight is he wasn't sending those emails to himself Right. He was sending them to other folks, whether they were general managers that were his friend, uh, a, a lawyer that works for the NFL, you know, one of Roger Goodell's top aides. And so. We have to realize that. It's it's awkward and it's you know, it's, it's just crazy to hear this it, It's it may seem crazy to some of us to hear these things come out. But we have to know that in places of power, this is common. Especially, I mean, especially in the entertainment industry, sports entertainment, but even beyond that, this is common. And so. I want us to reflect on ourselves, right? Think about your personal group chats. And now think about all right you know how your group chat goes down now these are millionaires some of these guys billionaires um and they're people of 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 power in their organizations right so this is their group chat and we got to understand that the rich powerful white male group chat email text thread whatever it's racist. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and even even beyond that, like it, it could it don't even have to be like the most powerful millionaire type people. It's just man, we cannot put anything past. White men of a certain age. Right. And it's and it's not like, oh, they're so they're the worst. But it's like, yo, think about. The era that they grew up in. Like if you're if you're a white man over fifty or fifty-five, your grandfather was probably anti uh not not immigration. Uh why is why is my why is my mind going blank on this? Not anti anti-segregate. What's the opposite integration? this was probably anti integration, right? and that was that was a normal stance. So if your grandparents are like coming from that era of just staunch separation like overt white supremacy, now you and then you you're raised in in an era of early integration. Your elementary, middle, high schools were getting integrated when you were coming up. The type of Things that were normal and permissible when you were a teen. In your formative years. And now you grow up and you you haven't changed. Right. And even if your friends or the, the guys that you associate with have changed, those guys aren't going to call you out. Right. And so this that's just one of those things where we as non-white people. I may say this a lot, but we should not be surprised in the least bit. We should not be surprised. Now, there was there was a statement in review of this situation by Keyshawn Johnson. Um, and there was a, a moment of surprise. And I think a lot of us and not to say that like we should just be bulletproof and just always have our guard up or whatever but we do have to proceed with caution right we do have to proceed with a level of caution so I want you to hear Keyshawn Johnson's story and it's not even about John Gruden it's about Bruce Allen one of the guys that was involved in the um in the email chain that that John was getting off all his sick stuff about right um but Bruce didn't call him on it he didn't say hey john you're going too far you know they were just going back and forth being good buddies but listen to Keyshawn's sentiment real quick
1: say about bruce i've been knowing bruce since i was a kid man here in la right bruce was a former general manager at the oakland raiders okay eventually moved to tampa bay when rich mckay was pushed out by john Groot. he took over Tampa. been knowing been knowing him since i was a kid since i was in junior high school right his name being involved in that hurts to the core. Wow! It hurts to the core. You know who his brother is, right? You know who Bruce's brother? George Allen, the
0: former governor of Virginia. Wow. And just to give you, I'm going to cut in real quick, just to give you a brief, what he's talking about, George Allen, um, governor of Virginia. I think he, I think he tried to run for president or he ran for some type of major office um, in in 2008 uh, or maybe 2000 but basically no well, i think it was 2008 but basically george allen you know he's a, a known racist uh in in the year 2000 he hung a noose in his law office when that fact was reported he claimed that it had nothing to do with lynching right so he tried to get that off when he got caught on it um when it was reported that he hung a large confederate flag in his house he explained that they were a part of his flag collection also Allen uh george allen bruce's brother had also opposed the 1991 civil rights act um that made martin luther king's birthday a national holiday so that's so Keyshawn was like well you know his brother is his brother is hella racist we know that but bruce was always cool with me right let's get back into it
1: go figure yeah. I got to separate, you know, I can put a wall up between the brother and Bruce. Mm-hmm. But then when this started to come out mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there like you say, and you're not putting a stop to it. I'm not a stop, not yeah. a stop. That's not good. I got to the court because you didn't expect it from him. And you not, at him. All, not, at, not at all, not at all, never. That's that, I would say that's my guy. Right now, I could pull up his number in my phone. I wanted to call him last night so bad and be like, Bruce, what the hell's wrong with you yet? But I just—I i interviewed him once. Like the, know, I interviewed him once. Seemed like the Earth nicest the guy. Court. Seemed like the nicest guy in the world. And again, I don't know him. You know him, so I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to cast any aspersions on this character. I'm just saying it looks bad. And then. So.
0: That is that is so common uh, to our experience. I know it's, it's happened to me a few times where it's just like you just didn't think somebody had it in them, but as we continue to grow as we continue to um grow personally professionally get into certain circles we have to know that um not all white people are racist but they all have the capability because they were raised in a society that makes it very conducive to think speak and act in a racist manner and it makes it very easy right like there's four stages of white supremacy there's establishment, maintenance, expansion, and refinement. The establishment phase was that nasty phase of, um, you know, uh, um, heavy subjugation, heavy exploitation, right? Like the, the brutal physical stuff, heavy, like in, in extermination, right? That was that extermination phase. Um, the chattel slavery, um, the the destruction of the West Indies. Uh, South America, all of that. That's the establishment phase. So a lot of their found so-called founding fathers, forefathers, whatever, did a lot of the nasty grunt work um, and all of that extermination. Right. So that's that's the establishment. And then the maintenance phase is when you you pass laws which create which which normalizes behavior, which normalizes thought, speech, and action. Yeah, and, and actions of society, which creates segregation as a as a law, and then it just becomes a habit and a practice, and then people grow up and they think that they separate and they don't deal with these certain type of people. Or feel like these people are reprehensible because that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's how it's always been. But it it wasn't always like that. And it wouldn't be like that naturally if there wasn't laws that enforced it. Right. Laws that would um, would would make anybody that married a black man and a white woman like that pastor, that priest, that minister would have to pay 10,000 pounds of tobacco as a penalty. Right? Or if if a white woman marries a, a black man, she would have to become a slave for life in Maryland, early Maryland 1600s. Right? Or also in Maryland if <laughs> if a if a black man and a white war you know, there's a miscegenating couple, their child would have to be a slave or a servant of the master for a minimum of 31 years right so it's just you you pass these laws to create norms to put the fear in people and create this separation and so that's how you maintain and then you also create the social no the social construct of race right you create the the multiple categories the caucasian Uh, the the homo homo europeus homo asiaticus homo afro homo americanus You, you put the you see what i'm saying so you create all of these things and you place that in the minds of people of society and then you operate on that and then then that becomes normal And then there's, then there's the expansion phase where, because white on a genetic level is recessive. That's why you have miscegenation laws to keep the race pure. So, you know, quote unquote. Um, But you also realize that if anybody comes over here and mixes with white, white will go away. And so now when you're, when you're bringing people over, as far as immigrants are concerned, even the. So-called white folks in America, the more English, Germanic people, they were like, "Oh, the the I, the Irish, mm, you guys aren't us." The Italians, uh, you guys are kind of swarthy, kind of kind of dark. You guys aren't us. But then, when your numbers are low, you're like, "You, you know what? You're one of us now." <laughs> like, we we're gonna let you in because we need more political influence. And we just we can't have all of these other folks competing for this land and, and these jobs. So we're going to give you some privilege so that you stay on our side and we can keep the masses and then keep the status quo, the status quo. So there's the expansion phase and then you get into the refinement phase. And refinement is easy. It's just, you're just making little tweaks to the system, right? You are creating language, political parties you know how to say the right thing, you say all the right things. And we're in the maintenance phase of white supremacy. And so you don't have to be overtly racist in the maintenance phase. You can just act racist, you can do things, you don't have to do much, right? And you can easily exist in a society that's integrated. You can easily have a workforce that is 70 to 80 percent black. But but be so distant from that and you could still be your own regular self in closed quarters and feel like there is no recourse. Because by and by and large, for a large part of history, specifically going back to the 1600s in the colonies and all the way up to now, up until the Internet, there was no recourse for what you said in, in so-called private right like it really didn't start until um the the owner of the clippers i forgot his name but that guy was you know they basically pressured him to sell off the clippers cuz they didn't want him to be a part of the nba because of the racist statements that he made about magic johnson and and, and black people right and so they forced him to sell the franchise but that's because his girlfriend who was black She recorded this conversation. And now we have, you know, videos, people going viral for doing stuff. And now all these emails, all of this, all this communication that would have normally been like over a phone, like (laughs) a landline or something, or just, just on the cell phone. You know, you got text threads that can be taken and you have emails that can easily be recovered. So you have all this, these, this digital footprint. And so now all that stuff can be proven it gets released by the news and you can't suppress it because if one person two people 10 people 15 20 people get it online and they share everybody retweets it it's a big deal now you have to react to it and so now the nfl the nba they have to react to it and in other corporate settings you know people get you know uh, other than police If any other negative thing gets released, those folks at the top have to react to it and have to do something about it. So in this situation, John Gruden, I think he was four years into a 10 year contract. He's out of there. He'll probably still get the rest of his. He signed a 10 year, 100 million dollar contract. I would assume they have to pay him the full 60 million that's left on that contract. But he's. Probably no longer going to work a day in the NFL again but what I what I want to focus on is as I wrap this up is that we have to understand that we can't put the prospects of racism racism past any person of power any white person of power we cannot we cannot. Because it's very easy for them to do it. And they've been raised in a society that makes it very easy for them to do it. Because it's, it was it's been normalized. Right. And so we cannot fall for. How cool they are with us or man, look, he's around black people all the time. He's nice to me. She's she's so cool. Yeah, that's that's great. Right and they very, and I'm not saying don't be friends. I'm not saying, you know, don't be cool with them back, but don't, you cannot put it past them. You have to know what they're capable of, right? And we've seen this going way, way back. You know, uh, George Washington had a diverse workforce, (laughs) right? Thomas Jefferson had a very diverse workforce. A lot of the founding, so-called founding fathers of the United States, according to our definition of diversity, they had they had a diverse workforce. There's a lot of diversity out there in the fields. It was all diverse. If you mean non-white. But that didn't stop them. From subjugating those people and exploiting those people and even brutalizing them. Now, today, there's not there's the brutalizing part isn't happening in our workplaces. But at the top of these organization charts. We know what it looks like and the outcomes that we're seeing in the workplace. We know what that looks like, the outcomes that we're seeing in society, the racial outcomes. We know we know what that looks like, and that's by design. And so the only thing that's really changing nowadays is that um, instead of and this is what the corporate culture and this is what the system of white supremacy does, it adapts. It's not going to leave. You can't destroy it. It's just going to adapt. Right. And so the way that it's adapted now, instead of getting lawsuits. You hire a director of diversity, equity and inclusion and you pay them X amount and hopefully give them some staff. And so the few hundred thousand dollars that you pay per year to have that department do its little programming will offset the millions that you may, may have had to pay because of your discrimination lawsuits. And if you guys, I challenge you all to research how many millions it's up in the billions really. Um, but how many millions of dollars you can see in lawsuits, discrimination lawsuits over the past 30, 40 years? It's mind blowing. So now the system is like, you know what, let's let's not continue to pay out these millions and millions of dollars because now the lawsuits. The settlements are only going up. They only go up. Even with the police settlements, though, they're only going up as well. But uh, in the corporate setting. You know, a lot of companies paying tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, just individual companies at a time. So we got to understand we we cannot fall for the optics, the signs, the um, the so-called self-proclaimed allies, these equity statements that say a whole lot. But nothing at the same time. They don't shift the power dynamic within these organizations. They don't shift the outcomes of. You know, management, the faces at the top looking different, they just change the faces at the bottom. Of the organization chart, right? And so once again. Always be vigilant. Always be vigilant. Don't be defensive, but always be vigilant. But your your best defense, I will say this, y'all, your best defense is a rock solid understanding of what racism is and how it works, because as the great Nilly Fuller said, if you don't understand white supremacy, what it is and how it works Everything else that you understand will only confuse you. In the year of our Lord, 2021, we cannot afford to be confused. Racism has been happening for a long time. The burden is on us as non-white people, specifically who I'm talking to right now. Black people, the burden is on us to have a thorough working understanding of of what racism is and how it works. We cannot be confused. Time is not on our side. The way that this world is going, the way that society is going, the way that the economic scale is going, time is not on our side. We own half of 1% of all the wealth. In this country, that is a goddamn shame. We have to get to work we have to stop falling for the first black this the first black that oh man look at that look at this progress no we have to produce it is time for us to produce and it's time for us to stop taking these losses that are avoidable like sun tzu said if you know yourself and know the enemy you need not fear the result of a 100 battles if you know yourself but not the enemy for every victory gained you will also suffer a defeat and if you know neither yourself nor your enemy you will succumb in every battle know thyself but also know thy enemy and know that it's not personal it's always business it's always business Grace and peace, y'all. I'll holla at y'all next time. Once again, it's the Sox and Samuels Podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next time. Grace and peace.